Hello and welcome back to episode 27 of the Game Biz Podcast. I am your host, Poe. First news item, Nintendo Switch's big price hike takes gamers into new territory. This is from Takashi Mojizuki from Bloomberg. Nintendo Switch's new OLED model will debut this October with a starting price of $350. In an industry where consoles typically get mid-life cycle price cuts, the Switch is moving into a higher tier, largely on the strength of a larger and better OLED display and some added storage. From the article, we now know that the upgrades are estimated to cost around $10 more per unit. The breakdown goes as follows. The new OLED screen costs an additional $3 to $5 per unit, and the increase in internal storage is a f- further $3.5 per unit. And then we have the addition of the tabletop mode stand and LAN port, which adds another few more dollars. Differences with other competitors' midlife cycle upgrades is that they all had an increase in power, which justified that increase in the price tag, such as the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X. Nintendo's updated model makes no such performance improvements. This tactic from Nintendo, should it prove to be profitable and successful, will definitely influence the other console makers as they are now closely monitoring the market response to Nintendo's latest. According to an official insider, the insider of PlayStation Division who didn't want to be named as they are not authorized to discuss competing companies, investors have so far taken a negative view of the new hardware and its pricing with company shares down roughly 5% since the announcement last week. Like I said last week, the OLED model is a bold tactic from their previous iterations of releasing releasing new SKUs. The increase in price tells me that they have some degree of confidence that this will work well for them, or at the very least, they will not be having the OLED model outright replace the original model anytime soon. Moving on to the second news item. Netflix is planning to offer video games in its services and data miners uncovered PlayStation images. So, could you be playing PlayStation games on Netflix in the future? The article goes as follows. Netflix has hired a former EA and Facebook executive to lead the effort to expand into the video game industry. Mike Verdu will be joining Netflix as vice president of game development. He was previously Facebook's VP in charge of working with developers to bring games and other content to Oculus. The idea is to offer video games on Netflix's streaming platform within the next year, according to a person similar to, familiar with the situation. The company doesn't currently plan to charge extra for the content, said the person, who asked not to be identified because of deliberations are private. Netflix will be building out its gaming team in the coming months, and the company has already started advertising for game development-related positions on its website. The news is a huge is the news is huge because Netflix already has the streaming technology down to a T. They have previously experimented with interactive media games like Banner Snatch, and I definitely see them lead the charge in the way for game streaming to be more than what it is currently being offered by the traditional console makers. Now, the question I have remains that so far, the Silicon Valley tech companies trying to join the video game market has proven to be quite the hurdle for them. Both Amazon and Google have pretty much failed so far with what they originally intended. With Apple and Facebook, they're they're doing not too bad, actually. But uh, what they were going for in the first place was uh, the mobile and VR gaming market. So not quite the same in comparison there. 
I would imagine that the so-called offering the games without the price increase will soon disappear if this investment proves to be successful and they have a big enough game library selection. This announcement wasn't the end of it all, though, since soon later, data miners found images showing a render of two DualSense controllers, artwork from game, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, a logo that says End Games, and a shark icon. Data miner Steve Moser claims that the shark is the current working name of Netflix's game functionality, and states the presence of the PlayStation imagery could indicate a partnership between Netflix and Sony, which may see the PlayStation games being offered through Netflix in some way. Back in April, Netflix agreed a multi-year US licensing deal, granting it exclusive rights to house Sony Picture Entertainment films following their theatrical and home entertainment release windows. So if this turns out to be true, then this again will be huge news. It's just that I have a hard time believing it to be the case since PlayStation also has their own streaming service with PS Now, and they don't seem to be the type to want to have their exclusive games exist on other system and devices, except for the PC, which they have clearly stated their desire to branch out there previously in their business strategy updates. Nothing about this makes sense for PlayStation, and for Netflix, on the other hand, I'm sure they do have the money, but this seems to be going too big, too fast, even for them. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to be leaving this for now uh, as just like a placement art thing that they've done. And I guess as we get closer towards whenever Netflix's game service becomes real, then I will revisit the, this rumor then. So that's the end of the news this week, but we do have two news quickies. So the first news quickie, we have an update on Epic and Apple lawsuit. Epic Games wins appeal against Apple in Australia. This is from James Batchelor from gamesindustry.biz. Epic first filed against Apple Australia back in November, making much of the same claims as it did in US, UK, and the EU. Apple filed an appeal to the Australian courts requesting that any trial between itself and Epic in the region be held off claiming that the dispute should be settled in the U.S., the home market for both companies. A judge ordered that the proceedings would be, quote, temporarily stayed for a period of three months in part to wait the developments of the U.S. trial between Epic and Apple in May. Epic countered this and documents reveal that the court has granted this, ruling that the original judge's decision was in error, end quote. This means Epic and Apple will still face each other in the Australian courts at some point, although there appears to be no word of when such a trial will take place. And for the second news quickie, Stadia is introducing 70% revenue share for pro subscription and an 85 to 15 split for individual game sales and an affiliate marketing program. Also from James Batchelor, gamesindustry.biz, Google is introducing a new revenue share model for its Stadia Pro subscription which will give partner developers an additional source of income each month. The scheme will come into effect by the end of July. 70% of all monthly revenue generated by the pro subscription will be split between partners based upon how many, quote, session days, end quote, players have spent on their games. One user playing a Stadia Pro title once on, uh, once on one day and once the next would count as two session days. 
However, a user playing twice on the same day counts as only one session day. Google is also introducing a new split for titles sold individually in the Stadia store, giving 85% of sales revenue to developers for any titles released from October 1st. This split will only apply up to the first $3 million and is currently slated to change at the end of 2023, after which it will revert back to the current split, according to the company. Finally, the internet giant will be introducing a new affiliate marketing program for Stadia Pro partners in the first half of 2020. Under this initiative, uh, developers will receive $10 for every new user they help to convert to Stadia Pro subscriber, tracking which user clicks on Studio's unique subscript uh, Studio's click-to-play links, which launches Stadia in the browser and switch to a paid subscription after a one-month trial of Pro. While this is all amazing and great news for de- developers, however, without a good solid player base, this would not much this would be not much use for developers in the end and i guess it is i mean it counts as a good first step towards keeping the developers around to keep their support for the games around but they definitely they for the next thing they definitely need to tackle the issue of getting gamers on the service so that is it for all the news this week we'll be taking a very quick break before moving on to the topic of the week The big surprise announcement this week was Valve's portable PC gaming console dubbed the Steam Deck. Now, about a month and a half ago on episode 20, PlayStation Time Capsule, I shared the report that there was a rumor of Valve making a Switch-like portable gaming PC. This was back then discovered by a Steam DB operator that a change in Steam's code pointed that this device was named SteamPal. Now we know that the device is real and it's called Steam Deck. My thoughts then was that such a device like the Switch for PC games made by Valve wouldn't surprise me as they have been getting into the hardware space for a good number of years. We had the Steam machines, which failed, Steam Link, Steam Controller, and Valve's VR headset, which are doing great. All of which had something to do with playing games away from that big PC rig of yours and transitioning into another space. Most commonly, most commonly the living room setting. With the Steam Deck, they are taking the same formula but broader, taking your PC games anywhere you want to go, much like the philosophy approach of gaming on the Switch. So before I go more in depth, here is an overview of the Steam Deck's specs and comparisons to other devices. In terms of size, it's a big, uh, a bit bigger than the Switch, almost six centimeters longer in length than the Switch. It has a 1280x800p LCD screen, custom AMD APU, which is based on which based on spec is half the power of Xbox Series X's AMD CPU chip, 16GB of superfast LPDDR5 RAM, the three SKUs it offers differ in the storage space, 64GB of eMMC at a base cost of $400, while the more expensive models sport 256 and 512GB of NVMe SSD for $530 and $650 US dollars. Now, if the 512GB aren't enough, then it does have a micro SD slot for you to expand your storage. Battery life estimates between 2 to 8 hours of use, which is quite a large variance. Valve has commented that the 8 hours of use is light use cases such as web browsing or game streaming. 
Unlike the Switch, it doesn't have detachable controllers. Its D-pad and face buttons are, you know, weirdly stuck besides the analog sticks, which makes them look like they are melting off towards the side of the handheld. The reason why they did that is because they have placed two touch pads just below the analog sticks where the D-pad and controller uh, and buttons usually are. These touch pads are the same ones from their Steam controllers and is supposed to be another form of finer control for some games and the navigation of the device. The screen is also touch sensitive there. The handheld is running on their Linux-based uh, Steam OS, which means all of your Steam game, games library will be well integrated. You could also dock the system, which will basically turn the device into more of that a PC experience you know, and Valve has given their blessing to the consumers to do whatever they want with it. If you want to wipe the OS and install Windows, you can. If you want to install other services like Game Pass or Epic Game Store, you can. This is where the device has an advantage point over other devices. Compared to the Switch, which its main function is that it is a gaming-centric console and does have some add-on apps like YouTube, Steam Deck is basically a mini PC that functions out of the box mainly as a portable PC handheld that plays all your Steam games. But if you want to fiddle with it and add anything else, it will allow you to do so. That flexibility and freedom of choice, I think, will get more people interested in this device which no one seems to be pointing out. A lot of articles out there instinctively compare this device as a comparator and rival to the Switch. And even I made like the quip on, on Twitter immediately after it came out and said, well, this is basically the Switch Pro people were hammering about just last week. It's not the Switch Pro people were hammering about. <laughs> I get the instinctual comparison, considering it is also a handheld portable game device and the most popular one out there on the market now is the Switch. It was announced just a week after the Switch OLED model and on the same day as the pre-orders for the Switch OLED that I think the whole thing was just kind of funny that way. I just think this device serves a different audience and as far as looking through some comments online, you know, it tells me a lot of these two gaming audience you know, they don't cross over too much. Nintendo fans who wanted the Switch Pro doesn't seem to want this, and those that want the Steam Deck aren't the ones really replacing the orders of the Switch OLED model for this. Now, I'm not saying these people don't exist. I'm just saying I don't think most are in these camps, right? I have a Switch, and I wasn't going to get the OLED model to begin with, but I did reserve a Steam Deck, and, you know, I'm planning to get one when I can. I'm primarily a PC gamer and I have a PS5 and Switch for exclusives and they, you know, also some indie games on there. But again, primarily PC gamer with Steam, I have like over 250 games on my Steam account and because gaming psychology is a weird thing, a lot of times when I play on my PC, I just kind of want to play that AAA game or that shooter, you know, you know, with mouse and keyboard over the plenty of other other games, like uh, mostly indie games, which I just don't feel like playing on my monitor with my mouse and keyboard. I always think this would be a perfect way to, perfect game to play on my Switch. And it's not that, it's not like the game wasn't sold on the Switch, it's just that most of my game purchases are natively on my Steam account. Through services like Humble Bundle, or you know, maybe there's just more Steam sales, so I just buy it on Steam. I think this device will act like 
how I already treat playing my Switch. It's just that I have like less than 10 games on the Switch. The targeting audience seems to me, you know, makes more sense for, you know, someone who already is a PC focused gamer and, you know, for some reason that they like about having to play their PC games detached from their PC setup. That reason could be, you know, basically not wanting to play indie games on that PC setup or wanting to have the experience of playing a AAA game on the go or if you have a ton of games on your Steam library and your life doesn't allow your attention to be fixated on that PC setup in your room, you may have, you, you know, you have to be traveling around more, be more mobile, or, you know, you have a kid to take care of. All that kind of reasoning could be a contributing factor to why you might want a Steam Deck, right? Now, there are certainly other PC portable gaming devices out there. So, what makes Valve's hardware more appealing to me personally? Well, I think first and foremost, their brand name is a pretty good start since they have done the hardware before. Unlike many other devices out there, the companies, I have never heard of them or maybe they're just a new startup making uh, their devices. Being a Steam device first and foremost, I have a better chance of believing that they can make the integration between the hardware and the software work better than other companies are doing. For example, Valve is citing that they are using Proton technology in their SteamOS, which would allow for a seamless transition of gaming on the handheld without most developers needing to spend porting efforts. Of course, this needs to come out first to prove how well it actually works. And already they have stated that so far, some games won't be able to do that just yet. For example, if your game is a multiplayer game that uses anti-cheat software, well, this Linux-based OS won't activate the software in-game, which means basically players will be locked out of the servers and won't be able to play that game. And this is you know, considered a huge deal because some of the most well-played PC games out there are these multiplayer games like Destiny, like PUBG, Apex Legends, or Rainbow Six Siege, etc. Valve have Valve has come out to say that they are currently working on improving Proton's game com compatibility and support for anti-cheat solutions by working directly with the vendors, and I hope they can do so before release. Not that I think it's a massive deal, because I'm more in the camp of, you know, if you're in a hardcore multiplayer camp and you're a sweaty gamer gunning out for that SR, then why the hell would you want to play on a controller layer? No, you would want to have a mouse and keyboard with a screen that can do 144 FPS. But still, they shouldn't assume this and not build the support for it. Another thing this does that other similar target audience devices don't is that they always gun for that, oh, we have a super duper high resolution display on the tiny seven inch screen slogan. And I'm glad Valve took the page out of Nintendo's playbook for this and realized that there are necessary trade-offs worth making for an on-the-go uh, on device like the Steam Deck. The lower resolution screen will allow for less power consumption and thus increasing uh, the battery usage time. It has less demand for power to output stable frame rates, making the device have an easier time achieving the stable 60 or 30 at like a medium or even high settings. 
It keeps the cost of the device down and the fact that most people don't see pixels at the distance with that screen size is just a reality. And of course, in terms of cost, like I mentioned, you might think it's expensive considering it's targeting that PS5 Series X pricing, but considering the amount of power and functionality inside such a form factor, the pricing is actually very competitive relative to similar devices out there. And I wouldn't be surprised that they are losing money for every base model sold, having squeezed the price down to $400, it is actually pretty incredible to see. Last week, I mentioned that if Switch Pro was coming, I expected it to be around the PS5 Series X price if it had that power capabilities. Well, seeing the Steam Deck now and the pricing, uh, it kind of makes me think that if the Switch Pro does exist, then it would be far more expensive than the PS5 or Series X. I know not everything about this announcement answers you know, every skepticism about this device since it is a brand new thing and there's still a lot Valve needs to prove in terms of releases uh, of console devices since their last one. You know, the Steam Machine was their last console for the uh, living room setting and it, it just wasn't that good. But I think they chose the right time to stick with the Switch's design now since that is truly what has caught wind and Switch is doing like crazy numbers right now. It's funny how <laughs> the PS Vita had very similar roots to these devices but failed so fast, right? Granted, I think the reason I blame the super expensive proprietary memory sticks that they were, you know, just it's just too expensive and silly. Also, I wonder how Valve themselves are going to be managing the global chip shortage issues with manufacturing, because no matter how rich they are, and I know they're rich, but I know they don't have more leverage than Sony, Microsoft or Nintendo in terms of supply chain manufacturing. So the question is. Will it get delayed or will they just have short supply like the big three? And with that said, I'll end it here today. Thank you all for listening. If you wish to follow me, you can find me at GameBizPod on Twitter. Tune in next week for another and I'll see you later. Bye.